Friends, the Lord be with you. My name is Joel Borsma, one of the pastors here at Pillar, and my work primarily is with all of the amazing Hope College students that are right down the road. I still can't believe that they pay me to do it. And as always, it's a great gift to be with you to open up God's Word. And today, I have a hunch that we're going to experience something of what the priest poet George Herbert called Bibles laid open, millions of surprises. So let's get right after it, turning to the Gospel of Matthew. Hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he strictly charged them to tell no one that he was the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem to suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Lord, far be it from you, this will never happen to you. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. You are setting your mind not on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would Come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what would it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? I tell you that the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each person according to what he, was, according to what he has done. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then... After six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John, his brother, and he led them up a high mountain, and they were by themselves. 
And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared before them and were talking to him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And as he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the disciples heard this, and they fell down on their faces and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Do not be afraid. Arise. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So what I'd really love is to open this up into a good old-fashioned Bible study. Doesn't that sound about right? Just to get all the questions and curiosities out on the table, looking at all the different angles, noticing the brilliance of Matthew the Gospel writer's theological artistry. I want to hear what y'all were thinking about as you listened to that amazing sequence of stories. So if you're so inclined, email me, joel at pillarchurch.com. Who do you say that I am? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Get behind me, Satan. Take up your cross and follow me. Moses and Elijah make an appearance. This is my beloved son. Rise and have no fear. The Bible really is a strange new world. And sorry to say it, in lieu of a freewheeling Bible study, it's going to be a tried and true three-point sermon, but I would love it if you would grab a Bible and open with me to Matthew chapters 16 and 17 as we fare forward together. So for today, I'd like to take a look at first, a blessing from Jesus, second, the challenge of Jesus, and third, a mountaintop meeting with Jesus. A blessing, a challenge, and a mountaintop meeting. So first, have a look with me at verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, that is Simon son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The blessing from Jesus flows from Simon Peter's basic profession of faith. You are the Christ, the Son of a living God. Jesus is the Christ, that is Israel's Messiah, the blessing that is God's gift for the ages. The Messiah, which is not only a mighty prophet like John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah, but also the anointed king in the line of David, God's chosen representative to establish 
justice and peace and flourishing for all as the whole Old Testament law, prophets, and psalms awaits with repining restlessness. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the one they long expected, the one who alone has the power to free Israel from its enemies. The blessing, moreover, would not only be with Israel, but through Israel for the world, fulfilling the original blessing to Abraham that God would bless him in order to bless all the nations. This whole pivotal exchange with Jesus happens in Caesarea Philippi. Did you catch this detail in verse 13? Caesarea Philippi, as the name suggests, is a city on the border between Israel and the Gentile pagan world. Jesus' ministry of teaching, preaching, and healing, which began in Israel proper, now approaches the boundaries, and it will ultimately take him to Jerusalem, a Roman enculturated, pagan occupied Jerusalem. Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he fulfills God's blessing to and through Israel for the world. Every tribe and language and people and nation, just think about the implications of that for our geopolitical landscape, a sermon for another day. Simon Peter has responded rightly and has received Jesus' blessing. Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. And just as God renamed Abram Abraham, so Jesus renamed Simon Peter, the rock on which he will build the church. But when Jesus starts talking about going to Jerusalem to suffer and be killed, Peter is anything but the rock. Seems more like a house built on sinking sand. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen. Now, in a sense, this is completely fair enough. There were many ideas on the market about what the Messiah would be like. Some thought a warrior king that would overthrow Israel's pagan enemies. Others thought the Messiah would purge the temple and restore true worship. It was and is the habit of God's people to turn and return to the scriptures to make sense of God's presence in the world. And yet, Peter proves to be painfully off the mark in his rebuke. It's not the first time, and it won't be the last. So on a basic level, this fiery exchange between Peter and Jesus shows that the community, blessed by Jesus and led by Peter, is to consist simply of forgiven sinners. Forgiven sinners like Peter, forgiven sinners like you, forgiven sinners like me. Thanks be to God. But get behind me, Satan. Ouch. That is an intense rebuke from Jesus in response to Peter, and it gets at the cost of discipleship. 
which is to say knowledge of Jesus needs to be formed by following Jesus. In the words of Stanley Hauerwas, the gospel is not information. The gospel is a way of life. It's the crux of discipleship, the great challenge of Jesus, the second point we're tracking. Now looking at verse 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Just consider for a moment our time and place and the endless stream of messages that it's all about you. Self-knowledge, self-discovery, self-fulfillment, self, 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 the sovereign self with its replacement trinity, one's holy needs, holy wants, and holy feelings. It is the world in which we live and move and have our being. So here is Jesus again. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. His words pose a radical challenge to our time and place, not to mention every other time and place around the globe and down through the ages. But consider further. If Jesus really is the true way, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, what if there really is more to it all than the self? What if denying the sovereign self turns out to be for our good? Could it be that Christ's invitation is our liberation? Consider this from C.S. Lewis. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber in your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing you have not given away will really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find it in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else thrown in. The challenge of Jesus in a glorious exchange throws us back on God's blessing. Only as we take up our crosses to follow Jesus will we, in the end, find life, abundant life. But how is that possible? Something so counter to how we are told to think and to, and to feel, which leads us to a mountaintop meeting, the final point that we're tracking today. Last weekend, I was skiing up in the winter wonderland that is northern Michigan. If anyone's ever been up north or maybe even out west to ski, it's fantastic. And what I've learned after living in places like North Carolina is that if you're going to live in Michigan, you got to learn how to play in the snow. For me, it's a lifeline in these cold, long months. And while mountain might be a little bit of an exaggeration for the ski slopes up north, you still have to take a chairlift up a good way, bringing into view a whole sweep 
of countryside. It really is a sight to behold. And I wonder if you've ever been on top of a high place, whether it's a ski hill or the view of Lake Michigan from the top of a sand dune or maybe even an actual mountain peak. There's something about being on a mountaintop that clarifies things. It gives the big picture perspective. And here on the mountain, following Peter's initial confession and Jesus' subsequent correction and call to discipleship, the vision of Christ's mission is both expanded and clarified. Jesus is the one who fulfills the law and the prophets. It's no extra random detail that Moses, the giver of the law, and Elijah, the greatest of all the prophets, appear on the mountain with Jesus. This meeting is a second Sinai. Jesus is the one, the Son of God, who reveals the kingdom, the law given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the beloved Son with whom the Father is well pleased. Sound familiar? This mountaintop meeting is a baptism 2.0. It's all to be seen in the light of what has come before and what is still to come. Those who went up to the mountain with Jesus did not hold their peace, but were destined to speak of the glory which Jesus was to accomplish in Jerusalem, of his passion and the glory of the cross. That's from the early church father, John Chrysostom. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be exploited, but he emptied himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 2. On the mountaintop with Jesus, the mission becomes clear. No glory without suffering. No victory without the cross. For soon after, Jesus would come back down the mountain and turn toward Jerusalem. A few weeks ago, I was at a Hope College Chapel service, and one of the chaplains, Shamari Tate, showed a clip of Martin Luther King Jr.'s final speech the night before he was assassinated. Here it is now. Have a listen to this. Isn't that amazing? The power of Dr. King's example and legacy is that like Jesus, he didn't seek refuge on the mountain. No one was building him tents to stay in, as Peter suggested for Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. But King returned down into the valley time and time again where ultimately a bullet awaited him. In Memphis. Somewhere along the line, King heard Jesus' call take up your cross and follow me. It's the call to every follower of Jesus. So, what about us? 
This Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, launching us into the season of Lent. What would it look like for us to journey with Jesus up from the mountain, down into the valley, and onward to the cross? The historic Catholic practices for Lent, being prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, are tried and true. So in that spirit, here's a possible suggestion from priest and scholar Austin Ferrer. If you have stopped using your Bible to help your prayers, resolve to start again now. Take the passion of Christ in St. Matthew or in St. Luke and merely look with all your eyes on it one scene at a time. Begin at the upper room. See Jesus give himself away with his own hands to his father and his friends in bread and wine that are his body and blood. Go on to the garden, see him give himself up again and confirm his gift in agony of prayer. See him by standing to the truth of his mission, call death on his own head in Caiaphas's court and in Pilate's. See him half flogged to death, wear that crown and that robe which assert the kingdom of God's will on earth through mockery and annihilation. See him receive the cross on which he is to die and see him die on it. Then see if the overflowing mercy which unites you to him will not make something more of your giving yourself away, if only for a day. We must live one day at a time, but we cannot do that if we do not return every day into the life of Jesus and above all, into his death. Return every day to Jesus, who just as he said to his disciples, says to you, rise and have no fear. The blessing and the challenge and the mission of God are accomplished in the glory of the cross for your sake and my sake and for the life of the world. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he was with his disciples, his friends, and he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. As often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. And after they had supped, he took the cup and said to his disciples, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of it, do so in remembrance of me. These are the gifts of God for the people of God come for all things already.